an amazing verse. I want to answer a question this morning. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is John 3.16 all about? It's more than a love story. It is the greatest love story ever described, encapsulated into one verse. Now, I'm going to ask each of you to believe this verse. To believe it completely with no reservation. A few minutes, I'm going to be giving you an opportunity, if you're not saved, to receive God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that more than... Sorry, I want you to know that a man, a woman, a teenager in this room could be in here, sitting here this morning, lost and hell-bound. You could go out of here a Christian. You say, that instant, that instant. There's never been anybody who ever got saved by a process. You can come in lost and go away found. Blind and then see. Father, would you bless as we focus on the greatest verse, I believe, in the entire Bible. Spoken by Jesus. Spoken to a lost world who doesn't care about you, doesn't know you, doesn't know how to find you. And there you are telling us that you're looking for us. So please encourage the Christians. But this morning, convict and draw sinners. You don't have to be out drunk in a gully somewhere to be a sinner. You'll be sitting in a church, enjoying the singing, reading the Bible, and yet hesitant, neglecting, struggling with the love of God and not receiving it. So this morning I pray nobody would go out of here to change, uh, the same. I pray that everyone knows the day and the hour knows that there was a time and a place where they got born again because of a verse like this one. Help me preach this morning like you would if you were here. Help me have the same heart of Jesus Christ. And help everyone in this room have the same ears like Nicodemus. In Jesus' name, amen. What happened here? Oh, wonder what happened to my... uh... Picture there. All right, so, John 3.16. Now, by way of introduction, I want to say that uh, there are many kinds of love. You've got these psychologists and psychiatrists. You've got writers and poets, theologians trying to define love. And there are basically six kinds of love if you were to classify them. And you hope that there are different kinds of love because you might say, I love chocolate, and then turn to your wife and say, I love you too. In Spanish, I understand there are five different kinds of love, and you do not use the same word love when you say, I love my dog, that you say, I love my wife. So there are different kinds of love. One of them is called infatuation. Most of us had them. I was in first class, and I fell in love with Mrs. Hostetter. She was so beautiful. Infatuation. There's also friendly love. Just somebody comes along and they, they uh, you know, they, they say, love you, Craig. You, go, you don't either. But anyway, I take it anyway. But you get along with people. But it's not deep and it's not a consuming love. You have, there's a physical kind of love where somebody just, just 
bring such joy because they, they give you a hug or something, or maybe they put their arm on your shoulder and you look at them and they smile. That physical touch means a lot. And by the way, that's a good kind of love. There's also lustful love. That's where someone looks only for selfish pleasures at the expense of someone else. There's family love, and that's the love between parents and children and brothers and sisters. But there's one other kind of love that we don't know very well, and that's God's love. Now, it's described in the Bible with a different kind of word, because it is different. It's called charity. The closest word we have that we use in our modern language is the word cherish. That's something that, that you protect. That is something you love with a, with a selfless love, with a sacrificial love, with a, with a love like God has. So there are many kinds of love. Now, a lot of stories about love throughout history. It's what most books are written about. It's what most songs are written about and what most movies portray at their core. It's always a love story. I mean, you watch Star Wars and it's a love story. You know, what do you think? What do you think? You watch Star Trek and it's a love story. You don't want Kirk kissing the girl. You want the Klingon killed. It's always a love story. <clears throat> now, whether the love story is tragic or happily ever after, the human heart loves to hear about love stories. Maybe you might know Romeo and Juliet. Maybe you heard about somebody named Mark Antony and Cleopatra. You know, uh, Romeo, these are some of the most tragic love stories. I mean, Romeo and Juliet, uh, when, when, uh, uh, they, when they were in love, their parents or families uh, uh, wouldn't permit it. And um, uh, Romeo commits suicide when he believes that Juliet has died. So, oh, tragic love. So he kills himself. She comes upon this dead body and goes, oh, and she kills herself. And they call it love. <laughs> well, that's not the only time it ever occurred between Mark Anthony and Cleopatra in history. Uh, they had love at first sight, and there they were, madly in love. The Romans were furious because Egypt was becoming a great power again. And uh, uh, in a big battle, uh, uh, Mark Antony, heard that Cleopatra had been killed. And so what does he do? He draws his sword and kills himself. Cleopatra discovers that, uh, that Mark Antony has killed her himself, and she says, well, I can't live any longer. And so she goes and hires a snake and gets the snake to kill her. All because of love. You think you got tragic love. <laughs> now maybe you might know this. This is the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Back in 1936, King Edward VIII abrogated gave up the throne to marry, as he said, the woman that I love. Uh, and the scandal rocked the British Empire, captivated the rest of the world. But the couple remained devoted to each other until he died in 1972. How many of you know this one? Anybody who watches films? Oh. Listen, these are chick flicks par excellence for you girls. Elizabeth, and Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy. These are the two main characters of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock. But it's one of the most well-known love stories in the English literature. And uh, a very unlikely romance, and yet in the end, you know, love conquers all. It's one of those great, you know, Kathy's up here already starting to cry. I don't know. <laughs> and, and maybe you know in the Bible about... Rachel and Jacob. Now, this is an incredibly great biblical love story. 
Jacob is looking for a wife, and the first girl he sees he falls in love with. That's Rachel. Love at first sight. And he spent, and when he found out from, the, that from her uncle how he could marry her, the uncle said, you need to work for seven years, and then I'll let you marry her. And you know what Jacob said? No problem. That's love, man. Seven years of hard work waiting for the hand in that, that marriage. But there he is, after seven years, Laban being the sneaky, sly, devilish snake in the grass, says, I can get some more work out of this guy. And he swaps. He's got another, another daughter. And he swaps Rachel for Leah in the wedding. That's why I believe all veils should be see-through. Amen. <laughs> In the morning, he woke up and he found out he had not been married to Rachel. He'd been married to Leah. So when he goes back to Laban and says, why did you do that? What are you doing? And, and Laban said, I need you to work seven more years and then you can have Rachel. You know what Jacob said? Okay. That's how much he loved her. See, there's some great love stories out there, especially in the Bible. And then you might know of the beauty and the beast. <laughs> Classic fairy tale. The power of love that goes beyond appearances. And conquers, conquers all. You know anything about Belle? She's living with this creature to save her father from, from death. and She keeps rejecting his affection. But when, her, when uh, her sisters trick her and she turns and, against uh, the beast and, and, and says, I hate you, and um, uh, walks away from him, she discovers him on the brink of death. And at that moment, she discovers she does love him. And at that moment, he transforms into the handsome prince. You know how it always works out. Either it's a frog or a creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't know. But, but love broke the spell that he had been living under. And the two marry, and of course, they lived happily ever after. Love stories. We love them. As crazy as they are, we love them. But there is more to love than just fantasy, infatuation, lust, and fairy tales. And love is described in just one verse of Scripture in words like no one's ever written before. John 3.16. Let's go into our Bible and find the Gospel of John chapter 3. It is our memory verse this month, but oh, how we need to read it, memorize it, and believe it. John chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> Say it with me, will you? As you find it, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing verse. I'm finished preaching. We're done. I wish it was that way. But we live in an age where words don't have weight. If we talk about love, we don't conceive what that means. What does love mean? What does it cost? What does it feel like? Somebody said, try to describe air. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? You have to have it. So is love. So when we say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, most of us just go through the motions of repeating words on a page, but it does not grip our heart. It doesn't bring us to our knees in awe. I'd like to bring us to our knees this morning. We're going to take a little bit of time and ponder just these words. So... <clears throat> Um, what kind of love is John 3.16 all about? Well, first of all, it's God's kind of love. It is God's kind of love. Every book that you usually read is usually about man's kind of love, a woman's kind of love, 
up and down, unpredictable, usually selfish and often destructive. But John 3.16 is about God's kind of love. <laughs> it's a love that is not logical. You know, love, real love never makes sense, amen? Think about it, that God would love me. I mean, honestly, I'm married 31 years, and I wonder how did she, I don't know, maybe it was some hypnosis I put her under, I don't know. You know how you, like those charmers do, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't hypnotize God. I can't trick God into loving me. You know, some of you girls, you got your husband through a few tricks, you know that. But you can't trick God. You can't come along and say, hey, God, look what you get. It doesn't work that way. What would God love about me? Never mind how much He loves me. The very fact that He does love me is amazing. It doesn't make sense. Romans chapter 5. Hold your place here in John. Romans chapter 5. And verse 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. <clears throat> and hope. Romans 5, 5. And hope make it not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yea, peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it. It doesn't make sense. Um, I have, a, I have a, a cousin, and I saw this in truth. Uh, her name's Brenda. She was in love. Uh, she was young. She just started college. She fell in love with this young man, and uh, he was a motorcycle rider. He, liked, he wasn't a crazy guy. But anyway... Um, they felt like they were in love. And they were even making plans to be married. Then we got the news that he was on the interstate in, in America, in, down in Austin, Texas. And if you ever try to drive in Austin, Texas, believe me, you better be a praying man, praying woman. It is very dangerous. But anyway, a car didn't see his bike, motorbike, as he's driving along, and switch lanes and knocked him over and paralyzed him from the neck down. He's still paralyzed from the neck down now. They had a decision to make. As he tried to push her away and say, go on with your life, I no longer have anything to offer you. You know what Brenda said? <laughs> I love you. Do you know that relationship? They've had two children. And they've been married for 35, 36 years now. You see, when we understand that we're like that man, we can't even lift our head up. When it comes to God, we bring nothing. Without strength, without hope, without God, without... Without goodness, God loved me. Doesn't make sense, does it? But it sure is good. <laughs> it's a love that only costs God. And I hope to blow your mind this morning. Every time God and me get together, love costs God. Doesn't cost me anything. It's a love that never gains God anything. What do you bring to God? Compare it to sunshine. You go in a moment. I'll, repay, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this in a moment. But you go outside. You can't bring anything to the sunshine, can you? You just go out there and you enjoy it, don't you? You can't bring anything to God's love either. You just got to enjoy it. It costs God to love us. It is a love that doesn't change. 
He actually calls it everlasting love, unchanging love. He says, hey, if I ever changed, you Israelites are doomed. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3, he says, because I change not, you are not consumed. Amen. God has a love that doesn't change. Amen. I like that. And it is the perfect standard by which you and I can strive to have and to experience for Him and for others. Now, it is a love that is by choice. It doesn't start off that man looked up to God and said, God, will you love me? It doesn't start off there. It says, for God. It starts with God. God made a choice. God decided that he would love us. So you say, why would God love us? He just does. Doesn't make sense. I understand that. But the only reason why he loves us is because he loves us. Hmm. Your wife says to you, why do you love me? You're in dangerous ground. <laughs> what is it you see in me? Oh, man. You ask God that, and he'll tell you the truth. Nothing. Amen. And yet I love you. You see, it's a choice. If you can get to the place where you understand God decided to pour out his love on a sin-cursed world, all of a sudden you start to realize just how great that love is. See, he didn't look for somebody that was worthy of love because guess what? They don't exist. He just saw his creation a mess and he said, I choose to love them. That'll make for a strong love, amen? It's a choice. You know, we were not lovable. If anything, we're the opposite. Since the fall, we have been full of rebellion and disobedience. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is how is deceitful above all things and desperately what? That's what I bring to God. Romans chapter 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none of us that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. We're at a loss to God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. How is it possible that a holy, righteous, perfect God would love such creatures? Just because he wants to. You better thank God that he chose to love. 1 John 4.19 says we love him. Why? Because he first chose to love us. And if he goes to the final conclusion, it's a love only from God. It is his character to love. We learned last month, 1 John 4, 8, God is what? God is love. I'm glad it does not say God is wrath. Because we've all totally doomed. It, God does have, God is holy, God is just. And he does have to execute judgment. He does have to show wrath. But his character is what? Love. Thank God. It is God's kind of love only comes from God. I can't teach God a thing about love, but he can sure teach me, amen? It is a love that only comes from God. That means he can love us even though we don't love him back. Wow. God so loved you when you didn't even give God a thought. God so loved the world. History is full of people who have struggled with understanding the will of God for their life. What is your will, God? You ever struggle with that? Some of you need to raise your hand. God, what is, what is your will? Struggle, fasting, praying, seeking God's face, 
Some people struggle with the Word of God. What does it mean here? What does that mean? Some people struggle with the mind of God, trying to understand what is God thinking. Some people struggle with the creation of God. But the greatest challenge has always been to grasp and to know the love of God. You get the love of God, everything else takes second place. Amen. To know the love of God. That's John 3.16 love. It's His kind of love. And it's the only kind of love to have, I believe. If you don't have any other kind of love, you need that one. Secondly, it's great love. John 3.16, read it again. Read it with me now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now when I say it's great love, I mean it is big, huge, massive, incredible, unbelievable. There's some very big words in the world. Like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But that's only 34 letters long. The longest word in any English dictionary is, I'm going to try to say it now, Numan Ultra Microscopic Silico Volcano Conosius. It's 45 letters long. It is a word that refers to a lung disease that you contact if you inhale uh, fumes from a volcano. Hopefully you're not going to get that. All right? <laughs> in Welsh, you know the longest word is that it's just a train station, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. There's 56 letters in it or whatever. It's unpronounceable. And yet people live there. Where do you live? In the unpronounceable village called whatever. Anyway, there are some incredibly long words in languages all over the world, but one word is bigger than all other letters, all other words, and it's only two letters long. It's the word so. For God so loved the world. The Bible could have just said, God loved the world. That's enough, amen? I mean, Tunde, you look at him and you go, I love you. Let me tell you, when you say, I so love you, you tell me, you took it up a notch, haven't you? Amen. Oh, put the so in there, but I didn't hint that for no reason. It is Valentine's Day. Anyway, if the Bible just said God loved the world, it doesn't tell you how much he loved the world. It doesn't show you his intensity. It doesn't tell you how much of the world he loved if he just said God loved the world. Only the word so tells the complete picture. God so loved so much of the world. That means all of the world. Praise God. It means Texans. I mean, you've got real problems with Texans, but God loves us. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. God so loves the world. Think about it. He loves unworthy. Well, let me just get to this point. God loves so much of the world in sheer size. Think about trying to love 7 billion people walking on this planet all at once. 7 billion. Seven billion broken, sinful people all at one time. That's the size of this world. And God says, I love it. But also, God loved the world so much. See, He doesn't just love all the world. He loves with all His love. Doesn't hold anything back. Think about it. God is able to love seven billion broken, sinful people. Wow. God so loved unworthy, ungodly, unjust, unthankful, unyielding, uncaring, unappealing, unbalanced, unbelieving people like you and me. 
1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the greatest. I am chief. Not much to brag about, amen? <laughs> and yet he says, if he can love me, he must love everybody. God's love is not poured out upon a good world, but upon a lost world. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Still holding here in John, please. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, God so loved the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You weren't walking according to Christ or according to heaven. You walk in according to the course of this world, Ephesians 2 2. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who you were following. If you're not saved, you're still following him. Verse 3 Among whom also we had our conversation, time passed, in the lust of our flesh. Don't you blame anybody else. You sin because you want to. Amen. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His, what love? His, there's your so, His great love, wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, we were doomed, we were lost, we were abandoned, He hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, I'm not just loved, I've been brought close to Him. That in the ages to come, what's He going to do all throughout history, Brother Ledbetter? What is God? Is He going to get boring in heaven? No way. That in the ages to, to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. All throughout history, God's going to say, let me show you some more. Just how merciful I am. How awesome I am. How great my love is. That thing describes that God's love is not poured out upon a good world, but on a lost world. A world that's messed up, man. It's not uh, He doesn't love good, perfect, or even practically good people. He loves lost people, hard people, stubborn people, sinful people. He loves a world that hates him. Genesis chapter 6 talks about a day when it says the whole world lied in wickedness, where its thoughts were only evil continually from its youth. It talks about a culture and a generation that had no place for God. And God said, the violence and the killing and the murder and the abuse was so much God had to start over. Noah and his sons and their families. That's all God could do. We're back there now. You say, oh, we're doing better, we're evolving. We are not. It's more dangerous today than ever. We're just, we're just at the last bastion of protection, but the rest of the world, listen, it is unsafe to be a human on this planet, in most of this world, not unless not less you're super wealthy. God's love has not been poured out on a good world, but on a lost world that hates him. You know, God poured out his love on a nation that resisted him at every turn. Stephen said to all the Jews standing there just before he got stoned, he said, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. At every turn, God gave you, see, God, God gave you um, uh, deliverers, saviors, but deliverers from Egypt and, and prophets and, and, and help all along. And you shook your fist at them and said, I want to do my own way. You're resisting God. And there was Jesus 
the week before he dies. And he looked out over a building there and he saw multitudes, incredible multitudes in Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen does her chicks. But you would not. And he loved people that rejected him. And even when they murdered him, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You can't tell me that God doesn't love a world that doesn't love him back. God loves this world. It's great love. And by the way, that's John 3.16 kind of love. Third, it is sacrificial love. Can't get around it. John 3.16, let's say it again. For God so loved the world, underline, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that's what the Bible's all about. You may not like all the Old Testament and all this stuff, but if you don't get this, that love costs. See, if God's going to love this world, it's going to cost. It's going to cost a substitute. I know you think life is all about you. Church ought to be about you. How do you feel? What would you like today? How would you like your tea? Would you like a scone? Are you happy? Are you driving a new car? It's not all about you and me, folks. See, the gospel is about what God had to do to save a wretch like me. It's, what, it's about a sacrificial love. It's about God sacrificing everything He has to bring us back to Him. And it, it's a love story where God becomes a man so that he could die for the sinner. See, God can't die. You understand that, don't you? There's some things that God can't do. God cannot die. So if I'm under the judgment of God, if I'm in trouble with God and the wages of sin happens to be death, how is God going to fix that thing? Love brings God down into the form of a man so that God as a man could die. Now you're reading the greatest love story ever. Every page of your Bible. Hmm. God became the lamb to take away the sin of the whole world. Now, he didn't barter his love for favors. Don't you get this idea that he's offering his love for a price? Well, Lord, if I go to church, now you owe me. Lord, I want you to love me so I'll start to read my Bible. It doesn't work that way. You don't earn his love. He already has given it. He's already, just like he's already turned on the sun, he's already given his love. He gave us his love freely. You know, when he pours it out, he pours it out in absolute humiliation and shame. It'd be like a wealthy man, somebody who's got lots of money, walking down into Simon, and, or, or outside of Simon, or whatever, and people see him start to hand out 10-euro notes, you know, and say, I want to be a help, whatever, and then those same guys come and ten them just, knock him down and rob him blind, and the guy lets him do it. You see, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I think in doing things orderly, you know, I think, it, listen, I'll find out how much you need. What do you need? Well, you only need a tenner. Okay, now you, you don't need anything. You know, you, so on and so forth. And we go around, but see, God's not like that. When God begins to give and we take, he gives more, and we take some more, and he gives some more, and we take some more, and we never stop to realize we're takers. But he's a giver. And when he gives, it costs him. You say, he's God. What does it cost? Everything. See, there's no real love unless it costs. 
God's not up there. Somebody, I remember, how many times, Brother Dan, has somebody ever said to you, and you say, Jesus suffered and died on the cross. They go, well, that was Jesus. He didn't feel it. What? He's different. He became a man, a real human being with blood, bones, and skin. Everything you have. Show that he was willing to pay the price. Because his love is one that cost him. No real love is no love is real unless it costs. Hey, you say, well, I bought my wife flowers. I took her out for a nice dinner. It cost me 50 euros last night. I'm really upset about it. That's not the cost that love is. A lot of you at Christmas, you try to buy the love of your kids, and it's a waste. You know what kids are more happy with? Empty boxes. If daddy would play with them. Amen. Amen. Real love is what it costs for the giver to give in order to love. What the lover is willing to put up with simply because of their love for the other person. That's what love is. What are you willing to put up with? Well, that's enough for me. I'm not going any further. <laughs> God doesn't say that. How much did it cost God to love this world? Everything. Absolutely everything. We don't really believe it, but it costs, it costs God to love us. To love simple people like us. Most marriages are started. You ready? I'm sorry to have a... I wish Weston was here so I could warn him. I'm going to warn him on Friday. Most marriages are started and they are basically endured based on what people get out of the other person. They fall in love with what the other person offers. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, look at that. Oh, man. Wow, man. I'm telling you, I am going to be one hot topic with this girl by my side. Oh, man. I'm talking about my wife, by the way. People fall in love with what the other person offers and what the other person can do. Can you cook? All right, let's get hitched. <laughs> but their love is based upon whether the other person is living up to their expectations. Whether the other person is easy to love and always loving them back because when that other person changes, and I've said this before, you never fall in love. You continually fall in love because the person changes. Amen. God's love is not that way. It costs God everything when he gives it. It is a loss to God every time he loves us. No gain at all. Do I bring anything to God? What value can I... I mean, we live in the Western world. We think we're valuable. We think we're important. I mean, I got somebody coming to my door. Will you take my vote? You're asking for my vote? You're asking me to vote for you? I must be important. We believe in that. But when it comes to God... What do I bring to him? Nothing. Nothing. For him to love me, it costs him. It doesn't cost me anything. Think about that for a month. There he is. Sacrificial love. You see, before we can ever talk about our love for him, we've got to talk about his love for us. And it's absolute. Before I ever, ever gave a thought about him, he thought about me. Before I ever found that my heart beat at the name of Jesus, that, that, that I was valuable to God, before I ever discovered that, God thought I was priceless and more worth more than the whole world. You see, it costs to love. God gave us free will to choose Him, and we choose our own way instead. God gave us paradise back there in the Garden of Eden, and all we did was we turned the world over to the devil. 
God gave this world prophets and preachers. And even the religious killed them and sent them packing. And God gave the world himself as a man. He even killed him and left him for dead. So when God stepped down from heaven and was born as a baby in a manger, he was almighty God lying in that manger, cold, and dependent upon two trembling, young, timid, inexperienced parents. What a step down. As Jesus grew and became a man, it still cost him everything to love us. See, it cost him heaven when he came down. When he left heaven, you know what he owned when he was on here? A pair of shoes and a robe. It cost him his glory, and all he became was a servant. It cost him his power and his ability. Do you realize when Jesus prayed, do you realize when Jesus fed the 5,000, when he walked on water, he was not doing it in his own power. He was doing it by borrowed power from the Holy Spirit. He taught us how to depend upon the Holy Spirit because that's how he lived. It cost him everything to become a man, to love us. It caused him his ease of life. Now, you find him in the pages of the Gospels, tired, hungry, misunderstood, and constantly rejected. It cost him his ministry at the end when he should be, be honored as a success. He lost everyone who had ever followed him. They abandoned him, and he died alone. It cost him his ministry. It cost him his very life. Why? Why would he choose to go through all of that? Hmm. Because to love us meant he would have to take on the responsibility that that would entail. See, love costs, and, and I bring only debt to God. Amen? I only bring debt to God. And in order for God to love me, he has to take me bags and all. Amen? Thank God he's willing to pay. When I married Nina, I only tell this every once in a while, but when I married her, she owed a little bit of money. It was only a little bit. You can imagine how rude it would have been. We had gone to Bible college and she had borrowed some, some money to go to, and there was, I don't know how much it was. Not much. <laughs> but, I could have been the proper businessman and say, you know what, you better take care of that, that debt before we get married, you know. <laughs> I'm not marrying anybody that comes with problems, you know. <laughs> Sorry. We'll put off the wedding, you get that bill paid, and then we'll talk. You know how it goes, you know. <laughs> I'm serious. We think that God's the same way. Now, Lord, you know, I'll, I'll get my life right, and then I'll come to you. Don't do that. No, no, no. He loves you as you are. And I don't want you to stay as you are. Doesn't want to leave you in debt. But he loves you in spite of the fact that you're in debt. And he accepts your debt. And he takes your debt on himself. Hallelujah. 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 Why would he choose to go through that? Because that's what love does. By the way, I did marry her with the debt and I paid it off. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. We, we got over that. That's John 3.16 love. That's a love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What more can you ask? What more can you ask? Incredible. But, oh, by the way, take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Holding your place here. By the way, that's the only way to love your wife, gentlemen. Ephesians chapter 5. 
in verse 25. Now, wouldn't you just like the Bible to say, husbands, love your wives, full stop. Ah, you know what every man in this, in this room who's married would say, I already do. And she would slap you to kingdom come. But I do love my wife. Yeah, yeah. Ephesians 5.25 goes on. It says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's the only way to love your wife, gentlemen. And it's the only way to love each other. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Look back in verse 2 now. Ephesians 5 and verse 2. Just a page back, maybe. A few verses back. And walk in love. Continually live in love as Christ also hath loved us and has given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I have to love somebody sacrificially. As a matter of fact, I have to love everybody sacrificially. But I do it because that's what love is. And I do it because that's John 3.16 love. Now, it's an open love. What do I mean by that? It's open to whosoever. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, the the most wonderful word in that verse for me is the word whosoever. Because like Eric said, that's where my name goes. I don't care whether you like it, but that's my name right there. John chapter 3, let's read verse 16 again. And like Eric said, let's put our name in there where it says whosoever. I want to hear Eric real loud. We'll all say Eric. No, no, don't say Eric. Say your name this time again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that if Craig believeth in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I like that. That whosoever. You know, this kind of love is available. It's open-handed to absolutely everyone. There's no exceptions. I mean no restrictions. Harlots, sinners. Publicans, liars. Murderers, haters. Idolaters, queers. Adulterers, drunkards, addicts, and gamblers, all are whosoevers. God doesn't flinch when somebody humbles himself or humbles herself before him. God doesn't say, whoa there, hold on right there now, wait a minute. Who are you? Yeah, I know your past. I don't think we can do this. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, you're too sinful. God doesn't say, oh, your debt's too much. God doesn't flinch. As a matter of fact, that's all there is to love. See, if you love, you have an open-ended kind of love. You don't have conditions on it. Remember, none of us are righteous. No, not one. None of us are good. You say, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a, in a good home. I grew up um, uh, trying to be good. I, you, there's none good. No, not one. So when you're tired of living a wicked way that you are, God says you can come to Him and experience a love like you've ever no, never known. It's an open love. You see, God will accept you not in your sin, but in spite of your sin. What do you mean by that? God doesn't ignore the fact that you've messed up, you've sinned, you've broken His laws. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't make light of it. He goes, oh, it's okay, Craig. <laughs> I, the last one I saw, <laughs> we all knew that was coming. God sees your and my wicked pride. He sees our sinful life. He knows what you do when nobody else knows what you're doing. And He loves you anyway. And He went ahead of all of us and personally paid every last part of our sin debt on the cross. 
as if he was to blame. See, I've got a black heart. I've got a heart full of such wicked sin. And what did it take? The blood of Jesus Christ to wash it away, make it clean. Need a little booklet. Sometimes the children are showed. It's called the Wordless Book. You ever hear of that book? It's only got five colors to it. And it starts off with a black page and then a white uh, page and then a red page and then a green page and then a gold page. And it's basically saying just through simple colors, any kid knows the crayon box, looks at it and says, that's the color of our sin. There's, there's, there's no light there. Men love darkness rather than the light. But you want to go to heaven, don't you? You want to be clean, don't you? You want to be free from all of this anger and, 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 and sin in your life? Well, the third color is red. It only happens through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ shed for you. And he'll give you green, give you eternal life. So that the last color, you'll be able to go and be with Jesus in heaven for all eternity. You know, that's the gospel. Just with five simple colors. Isn't it wonderful that something so magnificent, so awesome, so powerful as the gospel can be described in five colors? That's John 3.16 love. By the way, it's there for anybody today who will receive it. Let me say, lastly, it's perfect, uh, um, it's perfect love. Now, my love for my wife is imperfect. Not that she's imperfect. But my love is imperfect. My love for my children is flawed and lacking. I sometimes actually do sit down and I start to think, Lord, it would be really cool if I could go back. Change a lot of things. Don't you think that sometimes? You start to think, man, what, what should I have done? What could I have done if I was smarter, if I had two brain cells instead of one? But you know what? God's love is perfect. That means it's complete. It means it lacks nothing for me to receive it. There's nothing left for anyone else to do to receive it except believe it. Just believe it. I'm serious. You can't be loved by God more than you already are. You say, I'm not even saved. God so loves you. What if I got saved? Will God love me more? No. You'll just finally be able to receive His love. You'll finally be able to experience His love. You'll finally know the peace that passes understanding. You'll finally know what it means to be in Christ. Right now, Christ came and bought and purchased and paid for your forgiveness. You just haven't received it yet. God's not waiting to forgive you. He's already forgiving you. You just haven't taken it. Just believe it. You say, what do I got to do? Nothing. Just believe. If you just believe this, you can go out of here a Christian. You can go out of here as saved as the biggest, best, most godly saint who ever lived. Finally experience the love of God. Just believe it. Hmm. An example, sunshine. There's nothing you can do to make the sun shine. We pray. <laughs> we try. <laughs> it just shines already, doesn't it? But there is much you can do to start to experience and enjoy the sunshine, like moving amen, to Mexico or to Spain. <laughs> Southern France. <laughs> if you want sunshine, you're going to have to get out of Ireland. Amen. Some people, I mean, the curtains are drawn. They sit there. They watch television for six hours a day, and the sun is shining, and they're dying. Drag yourself outside. Sit in the sun. Read a book. Get under the sunlight. It'll do you a world of good, won't it? 
Wouldn't it do good if we got under the love of God? If we got out from all the condemnation, if we quit listening to the devil's whispers about how wrong we are, how evil we are, how ruined we are, how doomed we are, how, how flawed we are, how failed we are. They're all true. But I'd rather listen to his love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What a wonderful challenge. That's just basically saying, stay out in the sunshine. Perfect love. Um, there's sun there. Some of you haven't felt it. Some of you haven't felt it in a long time. Some of you, your church and your Christianity is like a ball and chain around you. Oh, I can't have any fun anymore. <laughs> I'm going to church. <laughs> My parents won't let me stay in bed. Listen, when you've experienced the love of God, you can't wait to get through those doors. You can't wait to pick up your Bible and find out what other things God has spoken just to you. You can't wait to spend time with the lover of your soul in prayer when you've experienced the love of God. If you're not born again, there's a barrier between you and the love of God. There's a wall. Isaiah 59. Holding your place here in John, go back to Isaiah 59. Isaiah, Jeremiah, but Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. God doesn't have a problem. Verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. There's a wall there. Because of that sin in my life, God's wrath rests upon you and me. Hold, Go back to John chapter 3 and look at some crazy verses. Verse 18 says this, John 3, in verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You're already in trouble because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look down to verse 36. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath what kind of life? Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're not born again, what should be love Right now is wrath until we move and, and, and get, or not move, but, but get that wall out of the way so that we can receive the love of God. I just want you to know, I just want you to know that uh, God has paid for every sin you've committed and ever will commit. You say, well, I'm saved, I'm saved 35 years. I mean, surely there are some sins that God hadn't paid for. Name one. Name me one. You know, last week, you know, last year I fell away, I... I, I started doing the old things that... Name me one sin that Jesus didn't die for. Name me one thing that he can't love you in spite of. Not one thing. God paid for every sin for you and me. That's what John 3.16 is about. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever keeps the law... doesn't say that. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting means it ain't going back to God. It is everlasting in your possession. God paid for every sin you've ever... It's a perfect love. Wouldn't it be nice if marriages were built on perfect love? Here the, the wife takes a ring off, throws it down, and you say, I ain't taking it back. 
Pastor, my wife's leaving. I'd follow her if I were you. <laughs> well, Pastor, my husband doesn't love me anymore. Do you love him? Well, <laughs> perfect love. Perfect love. So I can't do it. I know you can't. But now you understand what he has to put up with and how great his love is toward us. That's John 3.16 love. I said that was last. This is the last. It's a life-changing love. Anybody's ever been loved, you know what you're like. You're perfectly worthless when you're in love. Amen? I don't know what Dan was like when you were in love with Kathy. But I bet he felt like he could walk on those cross beams 300 feet in the air, blindfolded. <laughs> he still does. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Have you noticed what love does to people, though? It gets crazy people to write silly songs and do silly things. It gets them to write, it gets them to smile and rejoice when everything else is wrong. It makes people useless at worst. Somebody says, oh, don't mind him, he's in love. Same is true when some actually receives the love of God. You know, at work, people ought to tell you love God. I know you don't love work, but they ought to know you love God. Amen. You know what I found out? God's laws don't change people. God's wrath doesn't change people. But God's love can change the worst of us. It's a life-changing love that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but at that moment have everlasting life. God's love changes sinners into saints, changes haters into huggers. There you go, Eric. Changes the proud hard-hearted enemies in the family. God's love does that. No longer, for headed, no longer headed for hell. No longer able to get away with sin. No longer a slave to sin. No, 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 no longer lost and empty and angry, but possessing everlasting life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and that more abundant. He doesn't care whether you have abundant money or not. You say, God, don't you care? I'm in trouble. I don't have money. I don't have a car. God could care less. You say, how could you say that? Because he's not concerned about your welfare physically. He's concerned about where you are with him. Because if you had all the money in the world, if you had no problems and you died, you'd still go to hell. And it's far more important. Now, you can pray and you can trust God for great miracles and great needs. That's what prayer is for. But God doesn't show his love by giving you things. You know what he gives you? Forgiveness. He gives you peace. He gives you family. He gives you church. He gives you truth. And it changes you. That changes you. He doesn't give you abundant money. doesn't give you abundant happiness. Doesn't, doesn't give you anything of this world, but he gives you abundant life. I know people, I read about Christians who were put in, in gulags in Siberia after World War II. Christians all over the Eastern Bloc were shipped off because they would not recant, would not renounce their Christianity, and they were shipped off, and for 30 years they would sit in a square uh, cement cell prison. They were let out one hour, once a day, and only into a cold snow in bare feet, and they were allowed to walk around, and they'd go back into that square for 23 hours. And they were there for 30 years! And when they came home, they went to their family, the ones who were saved came home and they said, God was good to me. He said, God gave me the chance 
to, to, to speak words of comfort to the man in the next hole next to me. And he got saved, and he got to preach the good news to the guy in the next over 30 years, and he had a good spirit about him. Only Christ can do that. See, he doesn't have to have you in a perfect situation for him to show you he loves you. It'll change you if you ever get it. You know what good news is? You ever seen this? Good news, the gospel. God offers sinful people eternal life. You ready? G, God. O, offers sinful, you mean, people eternal life. That's the gospel. He offers it. Will you take it? Because that's what John 3.16 is all about. Let's do a quick summary. For God. Say it with me. For God. That's God's kind of love. So love the world. That's the greatest love ever for the worst of us. That he gave his only begotten son. That's his cause. That's the sacrificial love where he lost everything for me. That whosoever. That's an open love. I mean, he doesn't say for the Jews. He doesn't say for the good people. He doesn't say for the religious. He says whosoever believeth in him. That's a perfect love. I don't have to do anything. I just have to accept it. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, if that's not apparent in your life, then you don't got it. If there was not a time where you once were lost and now you're found, where once you couldn't have, you didn't have any interest in God or the Bible, if there's not been a change where now you do, then I'd wonder, are you really saved? I'll tell you the story. When I was a kid, we'd had radio stations on the AM band that had some gospel singing on there, and they sounded like fingernails on the blackboard to me. I couldn't believe anybody would put that over the air. Then I got saved. And guess where I went listening after that? I'd go from channel to channel listen to somebody singing an old gospel hymn. Not because the music changed. By the way, the music doesn't need to change. I needed to change. I fell in love with those old gospel hymns because God's love changes. Here's the invitation. See, the gift of God is eternal life. Will anybody have it today? I read about a preacher over in Manchester who preached on John 3.16. And he asked this question one night after pouring out his heart. He asked to a huge crowd of people who had gathered at the church. And he, and he said, who will have this gift today? And a man rose his hand and says, I will. Praise God. You know, a man, a woman could come into this room, a place like this, a sinner, and go out a Christian. There's never been a conversion in the world that was not instantaneous. There was a time where they passed from death into life, where they were born newly into the kingdom of God. There must have been a moment where you got born again, folks, or else you don't have life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, will you have it now? There's someone here in Bowling College, not in Manchester, will say that he'll have this gift. Isn't it awful? Isn't it awful? I have to plead? Here's a gift that God, it's like dragging somebody outside. Will you sit under the sun? Will you just take in its rays? Will you just, just experience what it will do for your health? Why, why do I have to beg you to say, I'll take it. I'll take the gift. You know why? Because we don't believe it. We don't believe it's really true. 
I hope to one day prove by my life and by every person's life in here that's been born again that our lives prove, prove that it's worth it, that it's true, that it's real. Who will have this gift? A few days, Nita and I are... Uh, come back here. Nita and I are going to uh, uh, Birmingham. Just imagine we're getting ready to board the plane and my wife says to me, sweetheart, I think we're getting on the wrong plane. I think this plane is going to Edinburgh. I'm a man. I don't ask directions. I can feel it. This plane's going right. Look, it's got wings. It's got pilots. It's got seats. It's a plane. It's going to go. If everything's fine, Nita, just sit down, relax. You're too worried. We'll be fine. She says, honey, we at least check. It would be to my best interest if I'm getting on an airplane for me to find out that it's going to the right place. Amen? Some of you need to realize without you understanding, without you knowing it, you're on the wrong plane. I like it when you get on the plane now. They actually have stewardess to get up there. This plane is going to New York City. If you're not going to New York City, please get off the plane now. <laughs> Let me tell you this. This life is headed for hell. You don't have to do anything except sit on the seat Buckle up, and you'll end up in hell. But if you don't want to go to hell, get off the plane now. That's repentance. That's you waking up to realizing I'm on the wrong plane. It may feel like everything's okay. Hey, look, everybody else is going this way. If you don't want to go that way, if you don't want to end up in the devil's hell, if you want to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, you can do it today. You need to deplane. Jesus called it the broad way that leads to destruction. You need to do a turnabout face. The Bible says turn in the Old Testament. The New Testament is called repent and believe. Will you stand with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed.